Did we miss the cargo plane someplace in the whole episode? <laughs> well, we ended up missing uh, more than just that. I actually like that scene. You know, we always comment that we like to see the vulnerability of their vehicles, and I actually like that. You know, Precious Thunderhawk is now just been squashed like a pancake. Your main action point is Scott and T. Bob skidding down a mountain. Um, you're going to be losing my interest. So. Yeah. <laughs> Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename 6000, 80 screw skills critical, Wyatt Bloom, broadcast technician, DJ, critic, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename Phoenix, 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, agents, to MassCast 50, and yet another episode review of the Mobile Armored Strike Command animated series. Tonight, we will be breaking down episode 37, The Sacred Rock, which includes our play-by-play commentary and audio clips from the actual episode. We'll pause halfway through the episode and at the conclusion to give our assessments and ratings using our 1 to 5 scale mask-o-meter. We'll also read back listener reviews and comments along with the results from our episode poll. And just a reminder, if you'd like to voice your opinion on the show, just uh, join us prior to each podcast on our website, agentsofmask.com, or comment during our Google Hangout recording session which we will let you know when that happens, usually on Facebook or over on Twitter. The Sacred Rock episode was first broadcast on November 19, 1985 in the United States and features Venom tricking a tribe of Australian Aborigines in order to steal their treasure. It's up to Mask to protect the tribe and also rescue Scott and T-Bob, but without the use of a damaged Thunderhawk. I'm Jason, one of your hosts of MassCast, and joining me as always is my longtime friend and co-host, the chunk to my sloth, Wyatt, when's the last time you did the truffle shuffle? I'm going to do it now. <laughs> hey, I can probably pull it off now. <laughs> I got to quit too. Me on this freaking va- our vacation, so to speak. <laughs> well, how are you doing, man? I, are you uh, were you aware that the Goonies turned uh, thirty? Yes, I am very much aware, and it's it's. Um, I won't say sad, but it's kind of more like a. It continues to hit me that we're that old. <laughs> um, yeah, that it's really yeah. that, it's been that long since we've seen that movie. You know, when it first came out. Heck, even the reruns back in the day when they were like running on, I don't know what yeah. they ran on, like TBS maybe at the time. Um, but yeah, it's it was, it's was been a while, but it was a good, real good, fun little movie. Um, yeah. I, I 
as much as I really loathed her, I, I also found her equally funny. The the old woman saying, you know, shift her in the four-wheel drive and hang on to your hats. <laughs> She's booking it down the, the sand dunes. Mama Fertility. Yeah, I just uh, last night, well, yesterday over on Rediscover the 80s, a person messaged me from, I think it was t-shirts.com, that they created this big, huge infographic on all of the actors from the Goonies. And so I was in the Goonies mood, and I somehow stumbled across this like, short documentary over on YouTube about her and her like acting career. And it was really fun to watch. Um, just her main two movies were that one and then Throw Mama from the Train. Right. That one. That's, she actually uh, earned an Academy Award nomination for that, for Throw Mama on the Train. Really? Uh, but she was always this just kind of little bit actor. Grumpy old woman. <laughs> yeah. Character actor is what they you know, refer to them as. But right. Um, it was neat to, to see her kind of career and how she got up to that point. Right. And I've, I've come to appreciate actors a little bit more. You know, when I was a teenager or younger, you know, you, you kind of get your own real judgments on people. But as I've gotten older, you know, I've really appreciated how she uh her roles were i uh, just saw her on alf here on my yes. replays you're trying to trying to uh i think it's about a dog i think it's the, a dog that they pick up but she's yes. like 50 bucks and her, it just her uh her husband on uh in real life was the the actor that played her husband in, on alf on that episode and he was really? on a, several movies with her as well, where they played the old curmudgeon couple, you know. That's awesome. It was really neat. Didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, that, that's that, that good information because I, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, but it's it was a good show. Um, I liked. I, well, I liked. Well, what's his name is played on um, the main character there. He played on um, John Aston. Yeah, he played on Fifty uh, First Dates with. Um, Adam Sandler, which was hard to see him as. Wow, that was that was quite a pull. I, I, it's not the first movie I would have chosen if I was thinking of him. But well, I haven't seen him in anything else. So, and I apologize, I haven't seen him in anything else. But that's the only one I can think of, somewhat recent that he's he's played in. Well, he's. Um, if you have you seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies? I saw the first one when it came out in theaters, and. He, He's the sidekick. He's uh, Samwise Gumshee. Oh, really? In the in the all those Lord of the Ring in the trilogy, um, he's Frodo's sidekick there. And then he was in that movie uh, Rudy, which I really like, which is about the Notre Dame football team sports movie. Um, he's been in a lot, but yeah, I mean, all those actors. You know, Corey Feldman. Everybody knows Corey Feldman, and you know, the yes. dozens of movies he was in throughout the eighties. One of my favorites that he's in, The Burbs, just hit Netflix this month. So I'm anxious to watch that again. And, of course, Data, he was a short round in yeah. Indiana Jones. Oh, yes, I do remember that. Speaking of which, there he is. <laughs> I just picked him up. <laughs> cool. Great from Hong Kong. No, uh, no pun intended there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> going through these... Uh, there's some sellers on eBay from Hong Kong and 
in China that I've been buying from real cheap and magically they end up here. <laughs> <laughs> Just happen to have that nearby. But uh, anyway, and then uh, of course, Mikey's brother, Josh Brolin, he's been in a lot of movies. Um, I guess over the last maybe 10 years, he was in that biopic of George W. Bush where he played him and uh, oh, he's been in a bunch. Um, he was in one of the men in blacks. I think number, what was it? Number three he was in anyway. So we've, uh, all those Goonies actors have been, uh, been keeping busy for the most part. And That's I've been trying to get those little, they, they made now uh, Funko, one of my favorite companies now, toy companies. They've gone back and, and made a bunch of action figures on all these movies and properties that never got them. Goonies was one of them. I've been trying to get my feelers out there to get a few of these figures, but they made uh, Sloth and Mikey and Data and Mouth, all of them, uh, I think five or six of them were uh, figures that I'm trying to get my hands on. So that's cool. I, uh, well, I'm not into figure collecting as of yet. <laughs> I got so many priorities before I can get a, get a hobby. <laughs> of course, my hobbies are also work, but they're also hobbies. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> like my truck. I hear uh, you. Yeah. I've gotten back into the figures as of late for some reason, mainly because they're cheap. <laughs> And I'm cheap, so, well, maybe that's uh, enough for the Goonies at this point. Um, even though they never say die, we must uh, move on in our mask cast. That is true. Let's get our mask on. Get your mask on. So, some recent news in the mask world. Um, our pal Bill over at matttracker.com and also Eric over at boulderhill.net. We've all kind of come together to make this new website for mask called wewantmask.com. And it's a pretty cool site. If you go over there, it's basically for the fans and it's our, I guess, quote unquote petition to Hasbro to bring back mask in some form or fashion. And you can go on there, register, and then create your own blog posts. Basically, uh, I mean, you can essentially write an open letter to Hasbro. You can post pictures if you got pictures of yourself playing with toys when you were a kid or things like that. Um, it's a pretty cool site. We've had a few people join. Uh, Doug Stone was gracious enough to go over there and sign up and, and do a little message. So uh, we invite everybody to go check that out over at wewantmask.com and just go over there and, and sign up and join us in helping to bring back mask. Yes. And on that note, um, a small uh, side note, I, there's a lot of fans out there Hasbro and, and I just don't understand. Maybe I'm, maybe you don't see the vision or maybe you're working on something behind the scenes. We saw a little tease, at least through Kenner's uh, Twitter account. Now, I can't, I don't know if Kenner's Twitter is official or not. I don't. It's not. So, probably, but still, it was, a, there was a whisper that we might see a Matt Tracker 
in a GI Joe movie coming up. Um, we would like to enter, be entertained some kind of thought towards you Hasbro, uh, whether it's our script or there's three or four scripts that I am aware of at the moment from colleagues of ours that at least have it in hand. If not, they've tried to submit it. So uh, I guess my petition, aside from all our petitions that we've done where we want assemble mask and we want mask and, and so forth, how can we at least grace your presence with a script, whether it's ours from Jason and, and myself or Scott Crawford or Andy Rattinger, uh, whomever else that has a script, just something. Is there a way we, we can entertain that with you? At least to say, there's no hope. We're done with the franchise. We're just keeping the mark or, or hey, let's work with this. Because even, um, and I for, forgive me, but there's that, uh, that, athlete that just pinned up uh, saying that he wanted to play hondo so there's there's oh, yeah. actual there's actual interest hasbro in at least if nothing else entertaining us uh, all us uh 80s buffs to putting it out there even if it's a straight to dvd maybe just something yeah. to 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 do something with so well, uh, i i think i think they've been pitched at this point, I think there's some people that come to him. We know basically from interviews that uh, Adam Goldberg, who True. is the creative person behind the Goldbergs TV show set in the eighties says that um, he's had scripts come across them. And I think at one point I'm trying to remember our blog post that we put up there, but I think at one point he was kind of in a pitch situation with them about that. And then yes, you're, Correct. There's another uh, actor slash director producer. His name's Noel Clark. He's been in a, a few shows, most notably uh, Doctor Who. Um, he happened to tweet out. Um, he bought some of his kids some of the toys, and uh, that started a little conversation back and forth with us and some and several other people. But yeah, he was anxious to say. Uh, yeah, come on, I'll I'll uh, write it and direct it and play Honda if you want me to. So I think it would be nice to have something definitive said or something official. Um, right. Just, I don't know if we'll get it at this point, but it it sounds like there are some uh, rumblings and you know, behind the scenes that we're just not just not making the internet. Right. So, you know, we'll just keep plugging away and, you know. And that's our part of our position here. Besides, I mean, we started out, obviously, we can, we say it quite often lately, but we started out with the script idea, but now we've kind of changed over to like a, a, an agents of mask, more like a hub for anything mask, so to speak, but still to get in some kind of, limelight if if anything a dim light to get into hasbro's radar to to say hey we're, there's interest here there's enough people that are really eager to see this this uh franchise reborn yeah and let's well since we're on the subject let's go ahead and answer our question here um and thank you vaughn for uh, tuning in tonight 
and he sent us a question. Um, do you think that mask really deserves a second chance after 30 years? Uh, you're kind of, <laughs> that might not be the right question to us because obviously we're the kind of the front runners, I would say in promoting mask um, or one of the front runners uh, right. to keeping it kind of alive. And we've been doing this for four years now where we put ourselves out there about the script and just kind of getting fans together at this point. And with movies like if you look at the the latest numbers, it's crazy. They've already grossed like a billion dollars worldwide in what a couple months. Right. That that movie has been out. Um, So people love that. They still love that car chase, that uh, action type movie that we really wanted to put out there. Right. Now it's not to say that we have a lot of chases and stuff. We have some in our script, but there's still an audience uh, kind of for that genre that whether or not they know about mask, it could be an opportunity of, Oh, what is this? Let me check it out. They, you know, see some uh, cool trailers or there's some buzz uh, started when they start production and they see the cool cars and, you know, I just think that basing uh, a comeback on, well, how many people remember it is the wrong approach. So I think the, the second chance, quote unquote, has to be uh, targeted towards, not just towards us. There's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like what they do with transformers. They, right. they put enough in there to kind of appease us, but there's not enough of the universe or the, what we know about transformers. They made it, they made it broad. And I'm not saying we, I want it necessarily that to happen with mask, but there is enough, uh, agents. There's enough, cars there's enough universe there to build a story uh exactly an environment that people are going to love when they go to the theater i think so what do you think i mean does that sound like the best approach to you i i do and I'm, i'm i'm really in line with your thinking that you know as much as we you know us 80s buffs want to see everything returned you can go down Facebook any, any day of the week and, and see someone wants Knight Rider rebooted, even though it failed, they still want it rebooted. Um, Airwolf, uh, a better Dukes of Hazzard reunion. And, and uh, it just goes down the laundry list, mask included. We got a taste of it with the A-Team movie. We got a taste with the Transformers. Um, but they did it right. Um, as much as we can argue about how Michael Bay did Transformers, they kind of did it right. Because they they snatched us in with Optimus, the original voice of all the things with Peter Cullen and all that. But they, they made saw, the money. They made the exactly. Money. They made the money with appealing to this a whole new generation. And I think that's exactly what we and we, we we did that with our script. I'm not trying to. I mean, we are promoting it, but that that is kind of what we did. We try to go a little bit old and and, and introduce a new era as well. So it's not uh, right. It's not but just it's modern a, too. It's it's right. That's what I'm. I guess trying to actually say. And here's an example, and we'll leave you with this. We don't go a whole podcast just talking about this. <laughs> we can't. 
this could be a, a whole chat, but um, I just saw a video today, actually yesterday, about uh, th these kids reacting to old stuff. I don't know if you've seen these videos where they react to old video games and stuff, and they showed them the Generation 1 Transformers, and they were like, what? This is Transformers? And, oh, Bumblebee is a, what is that? That is, that's not Bumblebee, you know? Right. <laughs> and it's funny, but, you know, you're talking about Michael Bay. It's, I don't necessarily put the blame on him because it is. It's a different movie. It's a different, it's Transformers, but it's different. So, like, all those kids in that, in that video, I'm like, well, it's not Michael Bay's fault that they don't know who the original is. It's the parents. Right. We have to, if we want to, our kids to know, all right, the whole history of it, it's our job to show them the cartoon, say, this is what I used to watch as a kid, have them check it out. Maybe they like it. Maybe they don't. But we put so much on, oh, Michael Bay is ruining our childhood. And, you know, and we, I kind of take it with a grain of salt because – the, he did enough to bring the, the movie back. Yeah, it's way out in left field of what we know. And it's mainly Transformers by name only and one voice. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do? That's just the time we live in. They have to appeal to a broad audience right. to make the money to keep making these movies. So, right. and, and we kind of made the mistake, you know, four years ago. We were, we, uh, we kind of were misguided, so to speak, in our own mindset of, of what we thought Transformers should have been. Cause I know we, you and I both Jason kind of said, we don't want this to be Michael Bade uh, to use our own <laughs> words, you know, but yeah. the more we see, the more we've learned more into the film and the appealing and all that, you know, we understand why it came out the way it did. That's, we, we do. We understand it. It was a great, don't. great uh, media and marketing venture. Again, like you said, it brought the money. Do we like it? Well, it wasn't eighties, obviously. So in that in that chapter of our mind, we're like, that was the worst movie ever. But it really wasn't. They they did it. I mean, I'm still entertained, believe it or not. As much as I can curse out Bumblebee or or uh, Ironhide or or Megatron, With those stupid twins they put in the second one. That's the that's the <laughs> that yeah. the worst with the gold teeth and the. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, can, we can go on a tangent all day long, but the fact is they, they did it right. Like, like Jason said, and, and looking at they, it with new well, eyes, for, really for the modern age, they did it right. I'll, right. I'll give you that. Right. For the, for the next generation, but still anyway. And, um, just to follow up on that, um, Vaughn asked us another question about emailing, uh, some of the people like Ham Saban, who did the uh, music, Jeff Klein, Hasbro Studios, to about to email them about we want masks and let them be aware. And we're planning to, or we will, you know, we're trying to get more people to know about the website first as far as the fans go. We want this to be more of a fan site. We're not trying to you know, beef it up or anything to impress anybody, really. It's just the fans being real about bringing back masks. Right. So, you know, we're at the point where we want to get the word out about it, mainly to the fans, let them get their 
posts and pictures and stuff up there and get a lot. And then we'll kind of show it off to maybe some people, hopefully um, right. that, you know, would want to see it and want to know that there's people around that still think about and still highly regard mask. So, right. right. Well, anyway, so I think we, uh, we beat that one to uh, a pulp. <laughs> Um, just a couple other quick things about getting our mask on before we hit the actual episode. It's going to be another long episode, isn't it? Um, I put up uh, just yesterday, The uh, I found some cool images online. I'm going to try to put some more up on the website as well with the 88 Kenner action toy guy that was showcasing the split seconds vehicles. And go over the blog and, uh, and check that out. That was really cool to see those visuals. And, I don't know. I like to think about that toy line since it was, we have no idea what it was based on. Right. I like to imagine what maybe they were thinking when they developed it and stuff. So that's kind of the approach I took when I put that up there. And then one final note too, if you uh, are a user over at deviantart.com or are an artist yourself, the Mask Fans United group over there is, is holding a fan art contest right now through July 4th. So if you go on over there, I, there's actually a link. Uh, I did a blog post about that as well to link right to the contest. But um, this is pretty cool. And I've seen some really cool art already up there. There's maybe about a dozen entries so far. Uh, the winner takes home 100 bucks. Second place is 50 And third place is a one-year like pro membership to deviant art, but um, it's really cool. And it really shows some creativity from uh, some of the mask fans out there. So please go and check that out. And if you're an artist, uh, they're, they're not looking for like Photoshop stuff, like what I do. Um, they're looking more for, you know, actual drawings, paintings, stuff like that. Original art. Uh, original. Yeah. Not skewed or, you know, stuff from uh, other works like I like to fool with. <laughs> so I won't be in- entering because I have really no artistic talent, but um, go check that out and go enter. You have it through July 4th and just let them know if you're going to try to come up with something before then, just to make sure you get your entry in in time. So you've got about a month right uh, before that contest ends. But you have anything else for get your mask on partner? Just one minor thing. And I'm, it feels uh, like I'm promoting uh, another TV show, but I couldn't help but notice the subtle hints to mask in it. Uh, a friend of ours introduced us to Paw Patrol from Nickelodeon, and you don't see masks. It's actually about uh, puppies that are double agents, just like mask <laughs> and double agents. And they all talk, and they all save the day, of course. Uh, they have a human, I will call him like a young teenager, like Scott, by the age of Scott. Um, kind of is the leader and they go up this elevator whenever they're called they go up this elevator and they kind of do a bat pole kind of transformation into their suits well their suits all are backpacks and the backpacks are what have the extra powers I'll call it uh, they have one and they're all suited exactly for what their their vehicle is they all have a, a assigned vehicle one is a cool one is like a uh, firefighter dog, and of course he's a Dalmatian, and he has a fire truck. Well, his backpack is like, uh, if I remember, it's like a 
water cannon. So it's a backpack, and then it comes up with a little arm that shoots out like a water cannon, water hose. <laughs> um, the other one's um, uh, like a construction worker. He's a bulldog, of all things. Uh, he has a basically he has a bulldozer with a dump bed on it. And uh, then his backpack is a little tiny backhoe excavator claw. So he can dig while he's doing his saving the day. (laughs) That's funny. It's actually pretty cool. I mean, at least I don't really watch the episode too much. I watch it with my son a little bit. But all I can see, I I got freaking blinders on. I'm going, that's Mask. They're they're channeling mask. They're just not using a mask to so they can uh, avoid the copyright infringement. Uh, <laughs> no, that's just what it looked like to me. So that's check funny. it out and channel your own mask. Maybe you don't see it, and that's fine if you don't. Uh, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of cool. That sounds fun. Yeah, there's a few shows that have kind of channeled that. Um, one of them that I used to watch with the boys was Battle Force Five. And it, it it was mainly the vehicle similarity mm. that they changed into something else. And then season two, the two vehicles could combine into one and defeat the bad guys. Um, they didn't have any like masks or anything like that. They had their little flight suits and stuff. And then they sat around a diner, you know, in the off time or whatever. That's but cool. uh, well, that's that's it's funny to, that we. You know, there's those little subtle elements that seem to carry, you know, over the years that still, you know, and Mask wasn't necessarily original by any means, you know, stealing elements here and there. We right. say it's a mix of Transformers and G.I. Joe, but, um, you know, there was probably subtle elements of other shows in it as well. And One final one final thing about the show is that the vehicles are actually dog houses. So when they they actually slide down a, a little outdoor slide and into their vehicle, kind of like cops, where they slid down the pole into their cars. Uh-huh. Uh, but they go into their doghouse and it transforms into the actual truck, whatever their, <laughs> their fine vehicle is. So uh, uh, that's fine. That's that's their mask vehicle, defender mode. Cool. Defense cool. Mode, so. All right. Well, I think it's time. I think it is time to finally uh... start. The Maskast! So we fade up on a desert setting with the tranquil mask theme bed playing behind it. We pan across and come upon a, a tourist couple with the wife reading the brochure of Ayers Rock, saying it is the biggest rock in the world. Her husband replies that he thought the biggest rock was the one that is on her ring. Uh, <laughs> I think that sets us up for all the jokes or lack thereof. Um, then he we'll stumbles. See. Yeah. Then he stumbles around trying to figure out his complicated camera. Uh, as he pans around with it, he stumbles upon some Aborigines. Speak to us, spirits of the rock. We have come to hear your wisdom. What in the world are you doing? I gotta get a picture of those Aborigines. Where's my light meter? We're taken right back to your Aborigines. They have bowed down and chanted as these glowing orb-like rocks appear. Uh, the wife is now surprised by these dancing rocks, as she calls it, and asks if Harold or Harry, which we finally get the names from, from the, the couple, mm-hmm. has gotten the picture. 
the camera lowers and we see that his eyes are now like surprised or widened as we fade off to Scott, T-Bob, and Matt at a camera store with Scott requesting to look around. As Matt is at the cashier picking up some rolls of film, the happy couple are discouraged to find that their photos have all been overexposed. Didn't any of them turn out? Sorry, mate, they're overexposed. You and your fancy camera. Now no one will believe we saw those dancing rocks. Dancing rocks? Dancing rocks? Oh, it was nothing, uh, really. Uh, let's go, Mildred. He probably thinks we got rocks in our heads. He was kind of worried that people were going to think they were nuts. Right. So it was, right now, it, it's just interesting that, that uh, how things are coming into play. And, of course, uh, it looks like, because they're, they don't set it up exactly right away, but they are in, in Australia. So, obviously, it looks like, at this moment, that Matt, Scott, and T-Bob are just vacationing, like always. Uh, just and now they're you know Matt's kind of like ooh a mission what what right right I got that kind of impression too and of course later we'll lead into that they're kind of on a secret vacation <laughs> right I guess you would call it where they're actually there for a reason and it's not just coincidental that it's a working uh, vacation right that he and Scott and T Bob and um, Brad and Bruce happen to be in uh, Australia and also Venom be there, you know. Right. So, and we've said before, you know, on these podcasts, or at least I've said before, that I uh, the coincidence episodes I kind of mark down lower. I, I I like having a purpose to being there. I like something, some mystery or uh, some event happening at the beginning and then mask going on scene to stop Venom more than right. just them. Oh, Hey, Oh, it's Venom. We better do something, you know, right. <laughs> that kind of situation. But so after Matt overhears uh, the husband and the wife, you know, and they kind of walk out of the store, the clerk tells them that it sounded like this Aboriginal legend of the Mimi spirit. Well, I'm no expert, mate. But the Aborigines believe a magic spirit called the Mimi can move in and out of solid rock. A magic spirit? I'd sure like to see that. Come on, Scott. You don't really believe in magic. So that's impossible. And Scott asks how he knows that, with T-Bob saying Santa Claus told him. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, the clerk goes on to explain in uh, it, you could tell it was uh, Alex trying to be Australian. <laughs> yes, very much so. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad, the, the accent, but the clerk, uh, he goes on to explain that he doesn't believe in uh, magic either, but the tourist couple wasn't the only ones claiming to see these, you know, dancing rocks or whatever in the past couple of days. Matt asks if he can take the film with the clerk uh, obliging his request. So he takes this overexposed, I think what they said, film. Right. And we fade right into Thunderhawk with Condor alongside. 
and Matt and Bruce and Brad, they're all huddled around the Thunderhawk computer screen and it's analyzing the film and actually produces the photographs on the screen. You really think these Rolling Stones are connected with Venom? I'm not sure, but it's worth looking into. We know Mayhem's in Australia for some secret mission. Brad, stay here in Alice Springs. Find out what you can from the local Aborigines. Bruce and I are going to the rock. So I like that their presence wasn't coincidental, that they were on a secret mission, essentially. Right. And they're using this vacation as kind of a front to sniff around a little bit and see if we can find out what Venom's doing here, you know. Right. I I jokingly wrote down that this was a – this is one of Matt's uh, business expenses. (laughs) Right. So T-Bob and Scott are outside of Thunderhawk, and T-Bob is playing with Boomerang and asks Scott if he wants a turn. Not now. I gotta figure out how to talk Dad into letting me go to Ayers Rock with him. I was just going to ask you if you wanted to come with me to Ayers Rock. You were? If Venom's in the area, you'll be safer at the Rock with me. Looks like you've got your way again. I guess the hotel is just not secure enough anymore. That's that I came up with right here is where I came up with three kind of very confusing questions, if you will, because all along, except for I think one or two haphazard episodes, mm-hmm. Matt always has him run off to the hotel because the hotel is always the safest place, even though they right. wrecked the last one. Maybe that's why he feels safer with him being with Matt. <laughs> that's true. I so, didn't think about that. That's a good point. But my first question is how is this actually possible that it's safer to be with Matt in Thunderhawk who doesn't even have, I mean, look at Thunderhawk. He opens the wings up. He's vulnerable from gunshots. (laughs) And then is he having a change of heart with how he keeps Scott safe? That's my second question. It could be. Maybe he's now like, you know, just letting him run around on his own with no parent. And yet, Matt and his team have all the weapons, defense weapons, whatever you want to call it, and vehicles to keep him kind of safer. Maybe he's having a change of heart. The third is oh. third question I have is instead of the hotel, I, I, I guess I just already asked this earlier, but instead of the hotel, how is Thunderhawk any safer? Right. Well, it was funny the way the, the next line he says where uh, – well, we got Scott promising not to get in any trouble with T-Bob joking around that he'll be too busy getting out of it. Right. And Matt chuckles. And I was like, if I was Matt, I wouldn't be laughing at that. I'd be going, uh-huh, that's right, Scott. You know, I'd be agreeing with T-Bob. Especially after I had to buy a hotel because you ruined it. Right, right. But he just laughs it off, you know, like it's, uh, oh, it's nothing. He always gets into trouble, you know. It's like he's expecting it to happen. I don't know. Who knows? It's, yeah, it's, I guess to wrap all those questions up and from both of us, it's, it just seems like Matt is, I don't know, having it, it, it's not the same as what it's been in other episodes. His attitude towards the whole Scott getting in the trouble situation. But anyway, enough of Scott and T Bob is we now, uh, fade into a camo tint and a familiar theme. Yes, a very familiar theme that I like. The holograph is working even better than I planned. 
the natives are convinced my dancing rocks are their silly rock gods. Dagger is a bit uneasy messing around with people's gods. Miles tells him it's nonsense, while Rax ins- insists that he only needs five minutes to scare them into telling them everything. And I guess he's gloating about his uh, when he was dressed up as that ghost or whatever a couple episodes I, ago. I did think about that. It, it would have been nice for him to directly reference that, but yes. I, I kind of had that impression as well that he was, oh, I did it before. I can do it again in just five minutes. You know? That's right. Miles says that scaring them will only silence them and adds that he's as dumb as Dagger. Yeah, you're as dumb as me. Is that so? Well, the closest thing you'd ever come to a brainstorm is a light drizzle. Quiet, you two. <laughs> Which was still pretty I good. I was laughing. I yeah. was laughing out loud at those couple. The first one when <laughs> just you're the way Mayhem said it, you're as dumb as Dagger. I, I laughed at that, and then you know, Rax giving his little comeback there with the right. light drizzle. I thought that was funny. And of course, Miles now shouts out, Quiet, you two! As he gets back to tuning the holographic projector, which sounds more like a radio being dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, Dagger suggests that they use, the, use a hologram projected onto Switchblade. While Miles says that his plans have worked so far, so nothing's going to change. Uh, he then adds that there will be no interference from anyone. And now we're taken on the road where we see Thunderhawk and Rhino now traveling. And here's something that kind of just worked up on me is where did Rhino get kind of pulled into this? And yeah. you know, we yeah. now have um, Rhino and Condor, which it's like, I kind of you have kind of identified. It seems like it's a wor- really a working vacation. They know or suspect venoms in the area, so they kind of went ahead and pawned it off as a vacation until something right. aroused them. But it's still like, okay, now they're just popping up everywhere whenever they feel like it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of had that feeling a couple times, you know, throughout the episode when things just popped up on the screen without any setup, but. Uh, I, I guess it didn't bother me, bother me too much. But well, I guess it was just you know, as we talked about it, it kind of more explained it now. With as as we said, it might seem like they saw them in the or they knew that they were in the area and so forth. But at the time when I'm watching it, I kind of I must have been on a rant or something uh, when I watched it because it's just it's like, did we miss the cargo plane someplace in the whole episode? <laughs> well, we ended up missing. Uh, more than just that, you know. <laughs> right. So Matt radios to Brad to see what his status is. We're about 10 miles from Ayers Rock. How's it going on your end, Brad? It's going to be a piece of cake. All I got to do is turn on my ever-loving charm. Without any communications devices, they're just talking like yeah. with... There's no radio, there's no... Bo- so I'm thinking that Mask now has a Bluetooth that wasn't in existence at all 30 years ago. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, and I wrote that down. I was like, how is he communicating to Brad? Um, give him a walkie-talkie. Give him something. So it's just not Brad walking down the street and talking up into the sky or, you know. But Brad walks up in his, what I called the Michael Knight leather jacket, <laughs> and uh, begins to stammer. Then he says that, uh, do you know anything about the Mimi? And uh, uh, what looks like a, an older uh, mother and children just begin to cry and wail. 
uh, more in fear than anything. And then uh, uh, another young woman just asked, Why are you talking of the Mimi? Oh boy, let's see you charm your way out of this one. Maybe a song will come. <laughs> uh, uh, this kind of reminded me of the face man in the A-team. Yeah. The he just <laughs> expected to turn on the charm and kind of schmooze his way in right at first. And <laughs> he gets that, all this blowback. That just exactly reminded me of a, a line. I can't remember the episode, but they're, they're stranded in like South Carolina somewhere in the woods and face, uh, you know, kind of, kind of blows up at Hannibal going, what do you expect? You just expect me to make things happen. You think I can get everything for nothing and blah, 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 blah. And then uh, Murdoch jumps in and says, how did you get that 1965 Cadillac in Da Nang? <laughs> like, so uh, I'm sorry. Flash moment, But it was hilarious that face popped up and was able to always come up with something. But he vents like, I can't, can't bring out everything. <laughs> but anyway so brad actually answers himself suggesting that a song will calm them down and he grabs his acoustic guitar from condor and actually asks for any requests uh and then a man walks around the corner asking kind of the same question why do you ask about mimi i don't think i know that song brad backs up and then we are whisked away to airs rock Right, and we—it's a pretty quick fade there as the uh, masked vehicles approach the rock, and Bruce spots the tribe, and they part the vehicles behind this convenient, like outcropping of trees, basically not let them know that they're there. Scott and T. Bob uh, get out first, and they peek through the greenery. All right. Looks like they're doing a war dance. The natives are restless, but no sign of venom. Don't worry. I've got a feeling mayhem saving the last dance for us. Matt tells Scott to wait there with Scott asking why he doesn't want his help. Uh, yeah, I think we know at this point Yeah, that uh, he doesn't need your help, Scott. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Matt says it's safer there and that T-Bob might need his help. Well, you know, all of a sudden on this, like, stealthy mission, T-Bob decides to whip out the boomerang again and starts chucking it, and he throws it way up high in the air, and it comes back towards him pretty fast, and he gets scared, and he runs and smacks himself right into a tree. <laughs> that was actually back. kind of funny. It was kind of funny, but I don't know. I was out of the – the scene was a little out of place because then after that, the whole group chuckles at him, you know, bashing himself against this tree. Right. And, you know, they're just on the scene and they're watching and then they're trying to, you would think they're trying to be quiet or something. Here they are laughing out loud. Uh, <laughs> it should have been, you know, trying not to disturb the tribe or whatever, but I, I, that seems a little out of place for me. Right. Um, anyway, T-Bob gathers himself and he sees Scott after uh, Bruce and Matt take off. Uh, Scott is trying to climb this rock, and what is he doing? We can get a better view of all the action from up here. Come on! Your dad said to stay here. Well, we're still here. We'll just be a little higher. What are you waiting for? No! You're not going to talk me into it! And uh, T-Bob's now determined not to listen to Scott. He says he's not moving an inch. That's right. (laughs) 
Then he uh, starts we, climbing. Yeah, well, <laughs> we uh, we cut back over to Matt and Bruce who are approaching the tribe, and they try to get some quote unquote front row seats to this little ceremony they're doing. Uh, back with Scott. Now he's higher up on this rock, and T Bob not too far behind. Apparently, uh, he's moving a lot of inches. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, he's still expressing though that he's not going any farther. Until he's not end. going one step or two step farther. But he continues to climb. Right. Uh, Matt and Bruce now they see the dancing rocks, and Bruce quips about them not having a leg to stand on or something. Well, he says, he says, uh, fish can swim and flowers can bloom, but a dancing rock has no leg to stand on. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> now I did like the color change on Matt and Bruce's uniforms. Yes. Where they, well, at least Matt's, you could really notice it was more of a, I think orangey kind of color, um, to his Thunderhawk flight suit basically trying to portray the glow from the rocks. I thought mm -hmm. that was really good. Uh, Matt then asked Bruce, You see it too? The light on the edge of the rocks. Only one person could be behind this. Miles Mayhem. There must be a lot at stake for him to go to all this trouble. Whatever it is, we're going to need Brad. Come on. Well, I. this is another pain point for me. How did he determine that? How did he determine, oh, that bright light over there must be Miles Mayhem. I <laughs> What? I don't know. I I kind of wrote that off. But anyway, um, we cut back over to Scott and T-Bob. They are now near the top of this mountain. Scott reaches up, and T-Bob is now absolutely refusing to go any further. Uh, he's still kind of on the side of the mountain. He turns around, and he starts losing his balance, and uh, T-Bob fashion, and Scott grabs him on the arm. Well, of course, they lose their balance, and now they go skidding down the side of this rock as we fade to our commercial break. But T-Bob! I've made up my mind. I'm going down! Oh! T-Bob! Ah! What did you think of, I guess, that final scene there leading into the commercial and the first half of the episode. Well, it's usually a little more dramatic for the commercial suspense, but for me, uh, that, it was kind of, kind of a lame uh, yeah. setup for the, for the commercial. I mean, it's still there. I guess there's still a little drama because they're falling off this rock. So you don't know if they're going to kill themselves or land in the Aborigines or whatever, but it's still, uh, they could have done a better setup for the commercial. Yeah. I wrote down that this drama at this break was probably the worst to date that we've been reviewing. Agreed. And it was just a, it was, I call it a false sense or more accidental. Right. Than, you know, what we're kind of normal, normally doing. It's usually something Venom does something and Matt or mask tries to get in the, the way and, you know, that's when you have your drama. And this was just kind of, well, let's climb up the, the rock. Uh, and, whoops, I fell down. And, you know, I, I don't understand why Scott would go rock climbing to get a better view when the setup scene showed them basically around the corner. So exactly. how are you going to go to the top of this rock just to look down, you know, 
<laughs> basically around the corner of this rock. Right. It, it just didn't make sense. And the lady at the beginning of the episode said it was a mile long, so it's not like they were <laughs> going to climb up the look the other side. I, right. I don't know. I just didn't understand his concept of how getting higher was going to make them see any better. But exactly. And, and plus the way they were climbing in the the banking. I don't understand how they were skidding down the the rock. They should have been falling as True. As, as much of a angle as it was. Um, they should have fell backwards and just started falling backwards, you know, but now here they are skidding down it. I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't like it at all. What else did you take? Well, I was disappointed at how they were communicating back and forth. They didn't have uh, any mics or masks or, or, I just usually they always have some kind of hand mic of some sort, like a CB mic, or they talk through their masks or something. Mm-hmm. So I was a little disappointed. I did ding it there for that, just because it just didn't fit or keep the continuity like they had in the past. Um, I was kind of perplexed, like like we started to think or surmise that why they were there in the first place. But I think we weeded out that it's, it was a working vacation, so to speak, because mm-hmm. they knew that Venom was there. But I guess it just at the beginning, it sounded too much like a, a true happenstance. Like a, just, just, I don't know. It did. It didn't, the puzzle piece didn't fit quite well. Yeah. Uh, I do like that. We seem to be left hanging as to what Venom is actually after because all they all we know is they're just playing around with a holographic projector there's nothing there's no setup there's no plot there's no money like usual or whatever there's nothing so i do kind of like that suspense that we really don't know why venom is there except to you know sit there and bicker about who's dumber um (laughs) well i I didn't mark that down in my notes as well that there was one point where well, it was when Mayhem was talking and they were trying to break up uh, the pinheads there that um, he says something to the effect of... They don't want to mess up the plan. No, nobody, nobody will be able to interfere with his plan or something, but they don't reveal exactly what, what his is. plan is or what he's after. So, I mean, that was good. It it left the mystery there. Right. Of, so I, I like that. And, I, and lastly, I... I I'll touch on it. We we both seem to notice the the glow. The animators caught that glow uh, on Matt's suit from this from the dancing rocks or the holographic projector, really. But as a rating right now, I'm at a four. I just it hasn't captured me. And with a couple of the dings, I just I'm right at a four. What do you think? Yeah, well, I'll I'll agree. I'm probably around a four from where we start at five. It was a decent episode. I mean, the mystery was there, like we talked about. I, I had a couple laugh out loud moments, and the the pun counts seemed to be low. Right, <laughs> there was a couple in there, but it wasn't ridiculous like you. Yeah, know. it wasn't ridiculously cheesy like it usually is. And the animation was good. I, or what I wrote down, I was just mainly bored. I guess uh, there was too much Scott and T Bob. It seemed like, and it was just chatter. You know, it, there wasn't a lot of action. So when, you know, your your main action point is Scott and T-Bob skidding down a mountain, um, you're going to be losing my interest. 
So (laughs) they're probably lucky. You know, I only dropped it down one point from five at this point. But, I mean, yeah, I didn't – there wasn't a whole lot of notation that I made. I was just kind of bored with it. Okay, so let's get to it or something. You know, it just seemed like to drag. Exactly. So, but anyway, we we head out of the break with Scott and T-Bob continuing their slide down the hill. Right, they're yelling and screaming as they slide down this big, huge rock. The chief now states, The Sky God. What's that? Whatever it is, it sure doesn't look like a hologram. You think Mayhem's behind it? Maybe. Come on, let's get back to the Thunderhawk. I'm glad they aren't wearing their masks or anything. They could have been shooting lasers or something at them. Uh, the duo continues their descent right into the Venom Pit with Miles and Rax looking on. They land on top of this tent, which crushes the projector and basically knocks Dagger to the ground. The dancing rocks vanish as they land haphazardly on their feet with uh, only a little tiny dent on T-Bob. How about that? Just a teeny dent. Scott, are you dented? Nope. Not a scratch. Whatever this thing is, it broke our fall. The Aboriginal. I, I, this, oh, sorry. Let me stop you for a second because okay. I don't know. Well, maybe I should let you go further before we get into it. But there's just no confrontation here. No. And there was no. Okay. Well, what just smashed our tent? Miles just seemed to kind of walk it off. We'll see. You know, here in this next part of it. But and Scott was like, "Oh, I'm just grateful that that thing was here to break our fall." And I don't know. It just, there was a yeah. disconnect there that got me out of the episode that I'm like, they just slid down. They, they landed on the tent. They squashed it. They didn't bother to see if anybody was in there, if they're okay. They just kind of walk off and I'm Door glad off. to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't, yeah, there was not a great closure or a great uh, storyline here for this yeah. little piece. So the Aborigines begin walking towards the duo, and T-Bob believes he's lost two inches of titanium. So now we know what he's made out of. Um, Scott notices that the tribe is heading towards them. Next, we see Dagger. Oh, my intercom. Hope it still works. Careful. What? You might as well write off the hologram machine. It got smashed when the tent collapsed. Rat. Just when the Aborigines were ready to tell me what I wanted to know. I'll have to think of another method. This, I still like this. We're still kind of left in the dark of what Miles is up to because he doesn't even say anything except we're, we're going to have to get some way to, to have these, these natives tell us what's in there. But right. we were still left in the dark. So I like this part that, well, well, we're left in the dark as an audience to try to figure out the, the plot. Right. So as we come upon this, the duo are surrounded by this tribe with a shimmering or a shimmer now appearing on T-Bob. Yeah. And I... <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened, but... After they just been through the dust storm there, coming down the mountain, it's T-Bob is still sparkling. Um, <laughs> anyway, the natives surround them. T-Bob sparkling amazingly after this dust storm they just caused. The natives 
confuse the duo for a sky god on a shining chariot, and they must take them to the temple. Well, T-Bob points to Mayhem and Rax. T-Bob, it's not polite to point your finger. Your weak gods have fled from the sky god. Now you must leave our village. Well, and this is another disconnect. I was like, well, how did this chief know that Mayhem was behind these rocks? I mean, there should have been like some kind of setup scene, maybe at the beginning where Mayhem is telling them, you know, we can make your rock gods appear or something, you know, just to, right. just a little bit more to the story. Anyway, just got got me on the episode there for a minute. But Mayhem says they'll leave peacefully, and he sneakily opens his little holster, which is not having a gun, but it has a walkie-talkie, and he cuts it on, and he says, uh, You shall see that my gods are not weak. The dagger god shall follow you to the inside of the earth. And he's trying to basically send a... <laughs> A message to Dagger, right? Without you know, letting them, without leading on that he's trying to do so. But his message doesn't get interpreted well, as Dagger thinks uh, he, he must have got a promotion now that he's a he's the Dagger God. That was kind of hokey there. But anyway, we go back to Thunderhawk. Bruce says he's finally got a hold of Brad and asks if he found Scott and T Bob. Matt says no, but they found T-Bob's boomerang, and he thinks they went for maybe a closer look at the Aborigines. <sighs> okay. Brad chimes in that he's buddies with the uh, Aborigines now and shows one of them playing his guitar. And, th- again, this is – how is Brad communicating? There's nothing. There's no walkie-talkie. Exactly. kept bugging me. Matt asked Brad what he found out. You're not going to believe it. Have you ever heard of the lost shrine of Arbor? Vaguely. It was supposed to be an opal mine the prehistoric aborigines turned into a temple. But it's just a legend, right? Wrong. And guess where you'll find the shrine? Inside Ayers Rock. Good work, Brad. That's probably why Venom is here. Computer, fill us in on the lost shrine of Arbor. Okay, Brad's been there what? How long... <laughs> Maybe a half hour, an hour. Right. And he's able to get them to tell their deepest, darkest secrets uh, just by showing them a guitar. Uh, come on. <laughs> it's all in the G chord, as he put it. I, yeah, I did not like that. Anyway, after hearing, I'm going to talk myself down on this rating. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Uh, uh, after hearing the legend of the tribe gathering gifts for the Sky God, on the computer, he tells Brad to meet them back at the rock and that he's afraid Scott and T-Bob are mixed up in this. Well, of course they are. They're Scott and T-Bob. They're mixed up in every situation. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> uh, now we go cut back to Scott and T-Bob. They're riding on one of those handheld chariots. Right. And Scott wonders why they are carrying them. T-Bob says he's just glad they're riding on something that doesn't turn into defense mode. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That was good. Um, <laughs> the uh, and okay, here's another part of the story that just gets me. The tribe uh, then carries them to this large opening 
cave. It's in this rock. What was I was like, well, this is some secret. Okay. <laughs> this the temple's supposed to be hidden inside the rock, and they have this big, huge cave entrance there right. that just anybody could have found, you know, over the years or whatever. But um the chief uh says this is their temple. And Dagger looks on, kind of peeking around the corner. I guess he did somehow interpret the message to, you know, keep tabs on these people. But he overhears it, and he's thinking that Mayhem isn't going to like the news that this temple is inside this cave. And his walkie-talkie kind of malfunctions. That He says he'll just tell Mayhem the lousy news in person, basically. Right. And then we had into the cave with one of the natives blowing this horn and this large statue moves revealing this room full of gold treasures and the chief claims they are all for the sky god huh but we don't take it priceless treasures might come in handy sometime this temple shall be the sky god's home forever the deal get up from the chariot and they start to basically indulged themselves in all these riches. T-Bob dives in. He puts these like diamond necklaces on and T-Bob asks what it might be worth. With Scott replying in the neighborhood of a few million dollars. T-Bob then replies, that's his favorite neighborhood. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that was a, that was a funny joke actually. But anyway, what they didn't realize was that the chief in the, the aborigines were going to lock them in there. Right. So now uh, he notices that Scott, that is, notices that people have all vanished. All the, all the aborigines have vanished, and we hear the Venom theme start up. The door now closes with Scott and T-Bob screaming for help. Talking with Bruce, Matt is worried about the duo. He believes that they ha- might have climbed the rock, then thinks about the sparks, which I didn't notice, like, a shimmer, but didn't think it was sparks by any means. Could have been T-Bob. I shouldn't have left them alone. Hey, hang in there. We'll find them. And maybe they can help us. Next we see Switchblade and the guys as Miles is disappointed that Dagger didn't follow the natives into the temple. Dagger attempts to kind of defend himself to tell him that it was just a crummy cave. However, (laughs) Miles then just scolds him saying... Did it ever occur to your pea-sized brain that the cave could be the entrance to the main temple? I didn't think of that. You don't think of anything. Don't listen to him. I happen to think you have rare intelligence. I do? Yeah, it's rare when you show any. (laughs) Shut up, both of you. We have work to do. And uh, they begin to blast their way into Air's Rock. We're back at the scene with the Aborigines. Matt asks them if they have seen his son. The chief recognizes Scott's photo that Matt holds up as the sky god and announces that they have been sealed in the rock for all eternity. Matt responds saying that he's just a boy, not the sky god. Of course, the chief counters him that he is the sky god arriving on a chariot that walks and talks with I and whoa expression. <laughs> That was kind of comical. He tried to mimic T-Bob. Right. And then Matt hears Switchblade arriving, uh, which then transforms into jet mode and just begins this onslaught of uh, blasting 
at the rock as Matt instructs Bruce uh, that they need to stop Venom. Well, obviously, they always need to stop them. Or they might not see Scott and T-Bob again. I think he also right. throws that in there. Right. So the Aborigines scatter. <laughs> One of the blasts dislodges a boulder, which smashes Thunderhawk. When I actually like that scene, you know, we always comment that we like to see the vulnerability of their vehicles, and I actually like that. You know, Precious Thunderhawk is now just been squashed like a pancake. Yeah, um, I was kind of, I don't know, his missiles. I, I understand this is like solid rock, this mountain, and the missiles might not do too much damage, but up to this point, they hadn't really done much. much of anything, and he's probably shot, what, half a dozen missiles at this point at the thing, right. and uh, finally, you know, that chunk comes off and, and squashes Thunderhawk. Right. A part of Thunderhawk is working, uh, although they cannot get to their mast, they hear the microphone or the, the, the intercom working, hearing Brad's voice over it. He states that he's 10 miles away, and we see Condor actually using its mock drive uh, capability trying to race there. Yeah, I did notice that. But, again, there was no no command or, you know, he didn't – it would have been fun for him to be, like, uh, about 10 miles out, but I'll be there in five minutes or something. And when Condor goes to Mach 1 or whatever, you know, right. he just didn't give any command, but they did use the effects there. Right. Uh, then we see Brad getting closer, and Miles launches a few more missiles onto the rock. Then uh, we then see what appears to be rocks beginning to lift up, and it all transforms into this large rock man, is what I called it. Uh, Dagger comes to a screeching halt. It's a giant! When Rex said that, he had a little hint of Brad's voice. Did you catch that? I did. I heard a little. It kind of slipped through, but I didn't. I didn't pay it any mind, really. It just wasn't. It was. Rex's voice has this pace. It's like a slow. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you about this now, and you know, Brad is he. It was. It's a different tempo. Right. And, I think that's just what threw me off. It wasn't Rex's normal slow approach and, you know, reflection. Right. But anyway. Dagger now calls to Miles. Right. And Mayhem is, he's up inside Switchblade and Dagger tells him he shouldn't have messed with their gods, like he said. And now who's the pinhead? Uh, <laughs> this rock giant speaks to Mayhem saying, You have angered me. You shall be destroyed. Yeah! Mayhem says he's getting out of here with a hard turn of switchblade and the giant taking a big swing at him. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Matt's now looking on and tells Brad way to go and that his hologram did the trick. Now, 
it's this is just the opposite. Mask not wearing his mask. How's he able to communicate with Brad? <sighs> this whole communication thing is bugged me. Um, Brad says it's time for an encore, and he directs the rock giant toward the Aborigines and commands them to release the sky god. Yes, great Mimi. We do as you say. They uh, agree as the rock giant fades away and it has this like rainbow effect when it disappears. Now I thought this was really cool. And I thought about those old like uh, holographic stickers they had back in the eighties. You remember oh, those? Oh yes. Yeah. I think they're called laser blazers and they had like the A team and E-Man and all that, but they were, silver and you know when you got the light on them it did have this like rainbow very colorful effect right that's what i thought of when i saw this uh his hologram kind of dissipating you know it uh just reminded me of that i thought that was really a nice touch to put that in there and has this you know like effect so anyway so we cut back over after the hologram of this rock giant disappears Scott and T-Bob emerge from the cave saying they are okay and in a new income tax bracket. <laughs> that was a funny line, but I doubt it. <laughs> right. As much money as Matt has. Scott, sure you're not hurt? Nope. Tell you what, next time it's my turn to rescue you. Well, that could have been, you know, several turns ago. Um, the chief says his people are now happy that they know the giant Mimi is there to protect them. And Bruce says their temple will remain a secret with the mask, essentially. Uh, The chief grabs the diamond necklaces around T-Bob's neck to return them back to their uh, cave there. And T-Bob turns to Scott asking him, Hey, Scott, loan me a nickel? (laughs) They all laugh as we fade out and I roll my eyes. (laughs) Uh, but then we fade very quickly back up into our PSA. Right here. We have Scott looking for a comb with T-Bob reaching with his gadget arms to a cupboard, uh, trying to search around for another one. He ends up dropping a glass jar. Now you've done it. T-Bob, if you ever need anything from a medicine cabinet, ask an adult. Medicines can be dangerous and poisonous. Uh, T-Bob agrees that the medicine cabinets are off-limits. They can be as dangerous as venom. Uh, I actually had a small disconnect there because, to me, it looked like they were in the kitchen, not a bathroom. That's what I thought of. And then, you know, once they spilled it and Matt started, you know, griping at them, I was like, oh, they're in the bathroom. Exactly. Okay. that's what it was. I, I, I thought they were in the bathroom until they said something about a medicine cabinet. I'm like, okay, you couldn't have put a toilet or something in the background to make it at least something. It's just all the counter space that they had in these cabinets that are above. I'm like, it's right. Come on. You, you need to learn how to draw a bathroom. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. So after all of that, all that's said and done, have you lowered your rating yet? <laughs> Well, I have not. Um, I ended up voting for a three. I went really? right in the middle. Um, 
I'll just go through the good parts. The animation, I still think, is top-notch compared to the first, I don't know, 20, 30 episodes. The rainbow effect that we talked about, the some of the other effects, the nice little subtle touches that they're putting in there. I think the, the animation is still good. Very good. Um, I did like the drama with Thunderhawk and Scott and T-Bob being trapped inside. And the humor. I mean, I, there were several genuine laugh-out-loud moments that I had in this episode, which, you know, doesn't happen a lot. But uh, I think the good humor, even though Scott and T-Bob were probably, you know, too much for my liking, um, and we didn't, I don't think we had one mask use in the whole episode. No. I I thought the humor was was still the good humor still outweighed you know anything with uh scott and t-bob <laughs> here's a couple things the brad's hologram trick it was cool and everything but i don't understand when when mayhem's flying up there and brad who they show is basically just right behind it up in the air you know right. projecting the hologram how can he not see him i mean it would be better if he was Maybe down behind the rock or on the ground projecting up or something where he was more hidden, you know, just doesn't make sense that he's out there in the middle of the sky and projecting hologram and, and he's above the hologram and nobody can kind of see what's going on. So I didn't really like that. Um, why uh, didn't Matt and Bruce hop in Rhino that was sitting right next to Thunderhawk when it got smashed? That killed me, dude. Rhino was sitting right there. Exactly. Getting smashed. Oh, no. Our masks. We, we can't do anything. Chopping Rhino. You still got it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even think Come about on. it. You know, Jeez. it being there, but that's right. Uh, yeah, you know, the whole communication thing, there was no call-up, which, you know, I didn't necessarily miss because – you know, all the agents were on scene uh, from the get-go. And like you said, though, there was still that disconnect where things were popping in. Oh, Rhino's here. Okay. Uh, oh, Condor's here. And Brad. Okay. I don't know. It's just like they skipped that whole start scene. Well, like, we're going to go to Australia. And Brad, you know, Bruce, why don't you come along with us? We've right. had that set up before when they went to Africa with uh, Alex. Right. And they invited him along. You know, have something like that to start the episode instead of they're there and you got to skip all the. I know Australia is a big, would be a big flight for the the mass transport plane. But like you said, and like we've said before, and you kind of debated, you know, how fast can that plane actually fly? Well, they've, right. they've flown in less than a day over to, where was it? Over the Netherlands. <laughs> Very true. So. I I don't know. And then, you know, like I said, no mask use. This is mask. Please use your masks. There was none of that in this episode. I might <laughs> I might drop it down a little bit farther. Um <laughs> just a few ticks and I'll let you take over here. I think this was the most missiles we've seen come out of Switchblade since we started reviewing the series. He, we've seen him shoot two or maybe three before, but it, he was just pummeling that oh, yeah. rock mountain. I was like, how many missiles does he have? 
So that was just kind of a, a tick, you know. Uh, did you notice the change from the flight suits back to the civvies at, towards the end? Okay, yeah, so the rock, rock smashes Thunderhawk. They're in their flight suits. And then the very next scene, they go to talk to uh, the chief about, you know, releasing Scott or have you seen him? And they're back in their civilian clothes. Oh, they're no, like, I, didn't well, catch it. I didn't catch it that early. No. They, uh, they must have grabbed their, you know, suitcase from <laughs> Rhino. <laughs> the smashed Thunderhawk or, or Rhino, yeah. Let's jump in the cabin here and change quick. We don't know where. I don't. That, that wasn't necessary. No. Um, that little minor mistake of Brad's voice sneaking through racks, and then another thing that just jumped out at me. I don't know why it did, but the sound of the hidden door behind the statue when they Scott and T Bob realize they're going to be trapped in there, and they start to close it. It's like mechanical. It's not that like rock scraping sound effect that they always use for those you know, those doors, those secret right, doors. Right. It was just it sounded too mechanical. I was like, "Who rigged this up?" <laughs> it wasn't you guys, <laughs> right? Anyway, all right. Uh, I, I guess I'll stick on the three. But what what do you have to say? You pretty much think covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I did like that we finally got to see what the plot was. Uh, I did like that drawn-out suspense uh, to see what Venom was actually after. But they never, they still never revealed exactly, at least Venom didn't know what they were going for. They just knew it was a temple. They didn't know that there was a treasure inside. Or at least they never verbally said that, at least out, you know when they're talking about. Right. I liked the use of the Hocus Pocus mask. We did get that. Even though he was kind of in plain sight, it was still that we got to see it. We got to see. Okay, so we saw one mask. Okay. Yeah. And we got to see uh, Condor at Mach 1, even though it was just real brief. It was still, we got to see its powers. I like the reality of, of Thunderhawk being smashed. I actually liked how, how worried and how um, guilty Matt felt. When he when Scott went missing, you know I, I like when there's a little uh, bit of emotion caught up in there. Yeah, I I don't know. I was kind of it was like he I, I didn't like his I didn't like Matt's reasoning in this episode. It, it just seemed off from him. But when he starts to you know blame himself for leaving them alone, I was like, well, maybe you should just find a freaking nanny or to babysit them. You know. Uh, maybe just of, leave them back at the, them in the hotel somewhere. Yeah. Or just leave them back at the mansion with somebody. Right. Uh, you know, call Gloria just to sit with them or something. Uh, <laughs> how about that? But I, it was kind of that. I would like to feel sorry for you, but it's your own fault <laughs> for knowing it's Scott and T-Bob and that they're going to get in trouble, but you still leave them alone and let them do what you want to do. So, right. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should be more sympathetic as a parent, but when you're not that great of a parent, sometimes it's hard to, <laughs> to hard to give Matt sympathy. You know. I see. 
Anyway, we had our fair share of good humor, which was kind of actually surprising. But I liked it. It was good stuff. Like you said, identified the animation was great. Uh, it's still a lot higher caliber than it w was about, I don't know, six, seven episodes prior. I like how they capture the eyes, that glowing effect we we identified mm -hmm. with with Matt in the, that kind of rainbow shimmer you addressed as well with the with, when the when the rock guy rock dude kind of disappears. The bad for me, I've already identified halfway through, uh, as well as you, you caught it with the the door hinge sound, where it was more metallic than cinder block or whatever that is. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and and I'm still not that that whole communication disconnect. We've come somehow gotten into Bluetooth era, and the only thing that I had that was still I didn't catch the the the, the change. I guess as early as you did, the clothing change. So I didn't have a chance to ding it, but that somewhat kind of lame suspense going into and out of the commercial that yeah. that could have been rewritten better, more yeah. suspenseful, could have been handled differently. Um, I think at one point when you know finally there was some drama and Scott T Bob was inside, I was like, okay, right, now we're getting into some kind of suspense, right? That we should have had more of leading into the break and not right. this false sense. But all that considered, it leads me to a four. Um, I just, I couldn't quite move it at all. No, I couldn't move it. It wasn't enough to move it for me, move it down lower. Uh, had I noticed or paid attention to the, uh, the clothing, I think I probably would have knocked it down a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, I was bad mouthing it a lot, but there was always seemed to be something very good that kind of offset it. So I was like, is it more bad than good this episode? I don't right. know. That's where I'm kind of on the fence. So if I was going to drop it down another half point, I would still probably round up to three. So I'll, I'll just stay in the middle on this episode. <laughs> there was some very good and there was some very bad. So right. average it out. I'm in the <laughs> Did you happen to catch any similarities to our movie from this? No. no. Um, did you come away with anything? I had some loose, very loose similarities. We have a kind of a rocket battle of our own with Switchblade and Thunderhawk. And then, True. Uh, um, we actually destroy Thunderhawk. So we see Thunderhawk destroyed in this one. We kind of destroyed, not the same way, but we we do take out Thunderhawk. Yeah. So that's really all that I had for similarities. Works for me. Um, let's go on to our poll and take a look at what our uh, viewers and uh, other fans thought. Uh, we've got seven votes, I show. Yes. Um, we've got one vote for a five. We've got three for a four. We've got two for a three. And one, one. So, yeah, I guess there was a little more towards the top half of uh, the scale than, and then the bottom half. But the more votes were kind of towards the middle, maybe that three and a half. 
range is where that would average out. So right. uh, for the most part, I think they agreed with us. And this week we had uh, two comments. Right. We have Eric. Uh, I don't think that's – in fact, I know it's not Eric from boulderhill.net. But he says, this episode was confusing. Among other things, Scott would be safer with Matt at Ayers Rock. Really? Dagger's plan of using Switchblade as a Sky God is actually better than Mayhem's. Lines like Matt's, that's exactly what I want you to do when Brad didn't say anything and Venom being fooled by a hologram when they spent the majority of the episode using that exact same technology had me scratching my head. Shouldn't that's Venom, a good point. Exactly. It shouldn't Venom at least be aware by now of Mask's powers? Right. Know your enemy, right? At one point, it looked like Switchblade passed right through the holographic giant's hand. Shouldn't this have tipped Mayhem off? Also, Matt and Bruce's magically changing wardrobe and Mayhem automatically knowing the natives would take Scott to the treasure were really off-putting. I also didn't like how they portrayed Aboriginals. No matter what your beliefs are, unless you have an IQ of two, you're not going to mistake a small boy for your sky god. Venom seems obsessed with finding any treasure they can, often to the detriment of more lucrative ventures. Just the fact they needed a hologram machine to secure the riches seems like it would be a zero-sum game, given the cost of said machine versus the amount of treasure seen. I missed maybe. Yeah. I missed the early episodes when Venom would hold cities of the world hostage with radioactive materials or comets or commit other acts of terror to further their goals. It seems to me they have basically become treasure hunters with high-tech tools. I did like the shots Rax took at Dagger, and even though Dagger is an easy target, it always cracks me up when other members of Venom take jabs at him. Mm-hmm. Still, the Venom scenes were not enough to save this episode from the overwhelming influence of Scott and T-Bob or goofs such as Venom not even noticing Thunderhawk and Rhino. Overall, a pretty lousy episode, especially given the lame way Venom was defeated. That was, uh, and that's Eric from Cartoonopolis, who Ah, uh, he's commented on episodes before, so we definitely appreciate you coming back, Eric, and for your points there. They were very good. Very good point. And, uh, and, uh, we move on to we, uh, well, I'm sorry. what I was going to say about um, his point to mistaking Scott for the God. Um, it was kind of like, oh, what episode was it with the um, with the guy that was frozen in the ice and he mistakes T Bob uh, for a God, right? So yeah, it was kind of a bounce off of that and I think I even said that that was a rip off of Return of the Jedi <laughs> when, they, uh, <laughs> when the Ewoks you know mistake C-3PO for a god but uh, yeah I don't know I'm, I don't know much about the Aborigines and their customs in the first place but it seems the natives in all the episodes of Mask are that same kind of mentality uh at this point. So we've seen the Aborigines interact with uh, Crocodile Dundee and, you know, in those movies. So they know a little bit more about 
the outside world. It's not like they were in some secluded area or something and never seen a boy, a white boy before, you know? Right. So it does, you know, he, he does make a point there, but I, I think that's just the way that a lot of these natives are portrayed in, in these cartoons, at least, uh, at least in mask it is, but right. Uh, anyway, we'll move on to uh, Anna's comment. Our faithful listener, she says, I remember this episode is rather boring and uninteresting, but when I watched it again, I was positively surprised. The episode has a lot of humor and some great lines, like when Matt and Bruce think Scott and T-Bob sliding down the rock are venom, when Mayhem refers to Dagger as the Dagger God, and when T-Bob declares it's nice to finally be riding something that doesn't turn into defense mode, while he and Scott are being carried into the rock. I also liked it when Thunderhawk got crushed by the rock because it added a little realism to the episode instead of the mask vehicles always remaining unharmed while the Venom vehicles get crushed. Finally, I thought the ending was good while at the same time a little humorous. An enjoyable episode. So she was uh, uh, more positive about it, I guess, than I was. Uh, <laughs> I see. She was... She was in your realm. I think she was one other voter for a four. Yeah, she out of was five. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said before, there were some there were some bright spots in the episode, but for me, there were still some pretty lousy ones, as Eric pointed out as well. So I decided to stay more in the middle uh, on this episode. But um, I guess that's uh, that's going to about do it for our review of the sacred rock. Did you have anything else to add? No, I think we've covered quite a bit. Uh, what's our plot for the next mass cast? Uh, well, hopefully I, again, I've, we've been teasing this for a couple episodes. Now we haven't um, been able to connect a time with Eric over at boulderhill.net to go over some comics. So, Hopefully that will happen. I want I want that to happen uh, in the near future. But um, we will have, uh, of course, many more episodes to review. And the uh, next one is called The Curse of Solomon's Gorge. And in this one, Mask goes to Africa to stop Venom, who has discovered King Solomon's treasures. Ooh. So... I didn't have a chance to really scan ahead or get much more than that as our plot, but this will be, uh, like I said, uh, you know, when we started this fourth season of what we're calling it of mass cast episodes, 31 to 40, most of them are uh, abroad. So uh, international. Right. Uh, and that looks like this one and uh, possibly the, the last one too. We've got well. Actually, I'm sorry. We've got three left. I think uh, all of these are going to be international. So, um, getting down closer to the end of uh, season four of Mass Cast, which is uh, surprising. <laughs> right. I don't know. It just seems like uh, it always sneaks up on me when we get towards the end and start thinking about you know wrapping up uh, the the ten episode sections and doing a an overall review that goes by so quickly, but here we are. We're about uh, halfway, right, partner? <laughs> yeah, we are. Halfway to completing the series. 
I think so. And that's it's been a fun really a fun journey for us. I mean, we can recollect different things. We all get on bunny trails of all our memories whether it's radio stations or TV shows or movies. Uh, but uh, I've enjoyed this. This is uh, bringing back great memories. Yes. And it's fun now that um, we've been doing these recording sessions on the Hangouts. We've had a few people show up tonight. I think at one point I saw three viewers. So we appreciate everybody tuning in. And oh, we got... One more question from Vaughn. This year's also the 30th anniversary of another DIC series, Jason the Wheeled Warriors. So I've got a question. Did you ever watch Jason the Wheeled Warriors? Me, personally? Um, I vaguely remember watching it. Uh, to tell you the truth, I, I couldn't tell you uh, any of the other supporting characters or the, the story behind it or anything. I think it, it's one of those that lasted... I think it was 65 episodes, like the the standard. Um, we've talked about that Mask at least had, you know, in its first season and then dwindled off. You know, the second season only lasted 10. To me, it's not really a season, but um, right. <laughs> I think it was one of those that was set up to, you know, be a five-day-a-week show. Yes, it was 65 episodes now that I'm Googling it. But I, I don't have very much connection. I didn't have any of the toys. So I that was another one that just kind of missed me. So what about you? Do you remember Jason the Wood Warriors? Oh, yes. Uh, that was one of my uh, – growing up, I still remember it was one of my, I would say, probably top 10 or 20, so to speak. Uh-huh. Um, I remember it. Uh, in fact, I still have two of the toys from it. One was the uh, – I guess it would be the primary car where it had the little uh, clamshell-type hand on the top or on the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have it. And I have the other buggy. It's like a two-seater. Uh, kind of put me in the mind that it was like a wheeled version of a boat. I don't know how else to be better describe it. But it, was, <laughs> it, had a, it had like a rounded tip like a boat. Uh, two-seater, little engine in the front. But, yeah, I had those. Uh, I remember that it. Like the main, I would call him the assignment guy, maybe not the leader, but the assignment guy like Devin Miles was for for Michael Knight. He kind of steered around or floated around in this pirate spaceship style pirate ship looking thing. Uh, Were they looking for his, his dad? Is that the plot? I don't remember if that was his the plot or not. I... But, but yeah, I remember watching it. I don't remember. It, it's one of these like masks. I just don't remember too many episodes until I've watched it through to kind of jog my memory. So I haven't revisited it to to see what it was like or what the episodes were like, what the storyline and such were. But uh, I liked it. It was like I said, it was one of my top top favorites. Uh, it mask Thunder Thundercats Transformers, kind of on that whole playlist mm -hmm. playlist if it were so yeah i it was kind of did the how did the vehicles work i mean was it were they they didn't transform or anything did they 
they didn't transform, but what they would do is they would kind of outfit their their arms or their accessories whenever they needed it. So it was, if I remember right, it basically just appeared. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I did remember it right. It is. Uh, they were looking for his dad. Okay. But it it also says. I mean, this has come from Wikipedia. It says. Um, it had an ongoing plot. However, it does not have a finale, so the plot was never resolved. So I guess they're still looking for him. <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were several. Uh, one that I've actually watched a couple episodes for doing articles over on uh, Rediscover the 80s was the Rambo cartoon. I do remember watching that, and I do remember having some of those toys. Um, that was 65 episodes. So, yeah, there was a lot of them like that that, I don't know, it, if you had your routine in the afternoon, you know, when you got home from school, you might not necessarily uh, catch some of these. And Silverhawks was another one that kind of missed me. I remember, just vaguely remember watching it. But... Yeah, I was a creature of habit, so when I got home, it was, I think, mainly G.I. Joe and Transformers. And then it that transitioned into Go-box. Nickelodeon. Not Go-Box, I think, were Saturday morning. Were they? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I was big into Nickelodeon, too, so I watched all those game shows. In the afternoons, they had, uh, uh, well, I guess more towards the late 80s early 90s they started doing those all those kids game shows and stuff so I didn't uh, didn't necessarily get into more than the, the standards you know right. <laughs> in the afternoon the five day a week shows but anyway we uh, appreciate that uh, final question there and I think it's about time we uh, get out of here what do you say I say that sounds like a plan man uh <laughs> No, we had a great time. We always have a great time, obviously. And we want to, again, thank you all for listening. Thank you for following us uh, on Agents of Mask. Go ahead and jump on over to wewantmask.com and put your petition in, your fondest memories, so we can hopefully get Mask uh, at least a good retake, revisit uh, in the modern age. And uh, until the next time, I'm Wyatt. That's Jason over there. And thanks for listening and watching MouseCast. MouseCast. They make strange sounds like yay and woo.